Well, we have uh, a couple of things. Um, number one, just a, a reminder that this coming Wednesday, we do have one of three theology classes. So we're covering different subjects. And this Wednesday is theology of? Of Acts. And who's doing that one? Tim. Tim. So Tim, the young gentleman who was here earlier and sharing the communion devotion, is going to be going over the theology of Acts. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> you don't want to miss that. Um, we're covering so one a month throughout the um, months of summer. This is what we've done every year for the last few years. And so um, this is a great opportunity for the church to gather together and um, really take like a 64,000 foot overview, right, of the theology of Acts, of, of the book of Acts. And, and um, so Tim's going to do that for us. Uh, that will be wonderful. And we also have um, this morning, before we get into the message, we have graduates. Anyone here graduated? We, ha we have a bunch, which is awesome. Yeah. So as I call your name, please make your way to the front of the stage because we're going to pray for you, okay? And uh, this is something that is very important for us as we encourage you to continue um, to, to shine for the Lord in, uh, in the very place where you are that he may be glorified and your faith may be built. So we're going to start off, though, with um, first the older, and uh, that way you're kind of to the back, and then we'll bring the younger um, kids to the front, all right? So uh, we have Hannah Frazier. <laughs> Grand Canyon University graduate. <laughs> And that, yeah. and that went fast, didn't it? I mean, I, we sent you off, and it seems like just like two months ago was. <laughs> a lot of work, though, right? A lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. So high school, I'm going to um, just list off the names. Justin Camacho. <laughs> Kaylee Chavez. Rachel Frazier, Isaiah Montano, Abby Solis, and Alex Tinoco. And then we have middle school promotions now coming up to, to high school, right? And that is Danny, 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 Kalspig. All right. You excited? They're not, they, they know what you're in for. That's, no, I'm just kidding. This, oh, word of encouragement, I'm sorry. <laughs> Elementary school promotion, moving up to youth group also. So we have Jensen Allen. Adri Bean. Yeah. 
and Christian Chavez. And our precious kindergartners. Moving on up. All right, Rosella Pesag. Rosella, come on up. Katie Sidow. <laughs> Katie, you can come up here. <laughs> and, and Josiah. Josiah Worthington. So... Um, you know, for us here at Refuge, um, all of our children's ministry curriculum is um, sol solidly based on the Word of God. It's, uh, we, we don't attract kids in participation uh, with uh, pizza and games. Um, that's something that we perhaps enjoy uh, from time to time, but um, it's the Word of God that we're bringing them up in and, uh, and with. And so right now, um, of course, we're going to pray the Lord's blessing upon them. Um, but I want to encourage each and every one of you uh, to continue um, to keep your eyes on the Lord, to know that whatever lows you experience in life, He is there with you. The highs, He's there to celebrate with you. And he's the one who will always be faithful. He is your refuge. He is the one to save you and to guide you. And when you need wisdom, he'll give it to you if you ask without doubting. And so look to him for everything that has to do with life and godliness. It can be found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for each and every one who is standing right now. And Lord, we celebrate with them. Lord, in this uh, graduation of each class and, and moving on to something that you have really assigned for them. I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would crown them with wisdom, that they would realize that you are going before them, that they would seek you and and Lord, find great joy in living life with you, abiding in Christ, being obedient to you, and enjoying fellowship with the saints. And so, Father, we commit them into your hands, Lord. We ask for your anointing, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's congratulate them. All right. So... Isaiah, you can come up and do the message. <laughs> well, I made them go back to their chairs real quick. Huh? <laughs> what a joy. Well, this morning we're continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. We are in Mark chapter 9. And the title of this morning's message is Salted, Not Scorched. Salted, Not Scorched. 
the verses that we're going through in context is making reference to Jesus' disciples. And what Jesus is doing is teaching them what it means to be his disciples. What he desires is that we would walk in the newness of life, that we would walk according to the Spirit, not the flesh. And we'll see what that looks like. He also wants them to understand that it's the trials and tribulations in life that not only serve to test us, but also to prove us, uh, to make us more resolute and determined in our faith. And we'll understand the title, Salted, Not Scorched, as we go through the study of this section of Scripture. Let's begin by reading in Mark chapter 9, and beginning in verse 42. John, or, uh, <clears throat> whoever causes, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire, and salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Heavenly Father, as we have read the few verses that we have in regards to not being the cause of someone stumbling, being mindful of those things that are a hindrance to our own faith, and perhaps even, Lord, if we insist on them, Prove that we are not yours. And as we consider, Lord, in the final couple verses, Lord, what it means to be salted, that we are to remain salted. Lord, I pray that you, by your Spirit, Lord, would help us not only understand, but have a desire to walk this out in our own lives. To respond to your love in a way that brings you glory. That we would certainly be whole offerings to you. For that is our spiritual worship. It's acceptable in your sight. It is what we should do. As followers of Jesus Christ as we owe you our whole lives. And so Father... Speak to us this morning, give us understanding, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
So in Romans uh, chapter 12, Paul writes, and this is, I don't know, in every Bible it's titled a little bit different, marks of a genuine believer, marks of a true Christian. But we begin in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then he goes on in verse 14, saying, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, that's, uh, if we were to only live in that manner, right? But listen, it is not within the pages of Scripture, without it being able to be completed or fulfilled by us. Not by our power, not by our might, but by God's Spirit. God does not give us instructions. God does not give us standards without also giving us the ability to fulfill them. I know we're not perfect, but at the same time, we can't really make excuses for falling short time and time again. These are the the marks of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. But as we read through Scripture, we come to understand that a genuine follower of Jesus Christ is proven through trials and tribulations. Tested and found true or tested and found wanting. Either way, one's faith is tested as if through fire. What this means is that your faith is tested through trial and tribulation, through tough times, through difficult circumstances, through some amazing confrontations at times, confronting your own sin, your own shortcomings in the midst of it all. Because quite frankly, an untested faith is a faith that cannot be trusted. If your faith has not been tested and found true, then it's one that you don't know if you can trust, you can rely upon. You know that you're going to stand. You know, the other day we were talking about some uh, people in the Bible that stood the test. Um, Men like Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Uh, we talked about that yesterday morning, right? We talked about the testing of their faith. Men like Joseph. You see, they determined how they were going to respond prior to being confronted with those circumstances that they were confronted with. Daniel, when he was told he couldn't pray anymore, well, he simply went and prayed and did what he normally would. He didn't do anything different. And Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. He was simply willing to leave his garments behind and run. He knew he was right before the eyes of the Lord. It's their faith that was tested and proven. Those trials and tribulations test our faith. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials for a believer produces a faith that is firm and unwavering, a faith that is resolute and dutifully firm. As trials expose sin, weaknesses, and positions, and those trials bring us to the opportunity for correction or draws us in that very moment to confess and repent and therefore serves to purify the Christian, purify the believer, to strengthen, to build up our faith in the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, In this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, how precious a tested faith is. It brings glory to God. It's in that moment that we can reflect the very character of God, that we truly believe in Him, that we love Him. Jesus prepared His disciples very well, perfectly. And He would tell them that they would go through trials they would be persecuted, that they would even be hated on his account, that this life, in this life, you will be hated, persecuted, people will come against you, they will slander you, but it's all because you know me, Jesus would say. So anyone who says otherwise that this is, and I, and I know I say it before, but it's just, it's ridiculous when you have titles like this of books, knowing the scriptures. That's why as a church, we ought to be students of the word, that we wouldn't be suckers for the foolish things, for false theology. Right? Live your best life now. Um, to name it and claim it, to, uh, you know, those who have enough faith will be prosperous, have great health, and that's the prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel. It's no gospel at all. Listen, 
The Lord prepares us for a kingdom that's to come. This is not it. For the believer, this is as worse as it gets. For the unbeliever, this is as good as it gets. God prepares us to be, to be warriors, to be steadfast, to not be soft. So Jesus prepared his disciples by telling them, hey, listen, you're going to go through trials. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated on my account. Expect it. Be ready for it. But know that it's serving a purpose in you. John 16, says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Wait a minute. So in the midst of trials and tribulations, God, you expect me to have peace? Well, when you know the end, wouldn't you handle trials a bit differently? If you actually believe Romans 8, 28, would you handle your trials a bit differently? Expressing that faith. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Yes, we can have peace. In fact, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It, that, that wasn't given to us in so that we would apply it in good times. Everything's peachy, rosy, right? Do not be anxious about anything. Well, that doesn't apply to that. It applies to difficult circumstances because in the midst of that, you can possess and know that peace that surpasses all understanding because Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Trials and tribulation will either prove to be a source of constant suffering. For some people, trials and tribulations, that is a source of constant suffering. You know it. Because they'll express that to you time and time and time and time again. Or it will prove to be a source of producing a resistance to the temptation to become self-centered, to be self-consumed, and instead force you in that moment to look to the Lord and look to others. For the disciple of Jesus Christ, we are to be salted, not scorched. As Christians, we are further salted by fire, further strengthened, preserved, and matured in our faith. But in the Lord, we are not destroyed. But the warning is to not take sin lightly, and even more, to not allow yourself to be the source of temptation and causing someone else to sin. Hey, listen, even though we live in the age of grace, that is, that salvation is offered to all. By grace... Through faith in Jesus Christ, we need to understand that God's judgment has not been suspended. We need, we need to understand that. And, and we need to heed God's warnings regarding temptation, sin, and causing others 
to be tempted in sin for ourselves and that our, we would not be those stumbling blocks for others. Remember that we ought to avoid bad company and we ought not be bad company for others to avoid. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Listen, the Apostle Paul was writing this to the church in Corinth. He wasn't writing this to the world. He was writing this to the world. Sometimes we get so bent out of shame, out of shape. We, um, uh, we get offended. You know, it's a good thing when we ourselves experience this deep conviction. Why? Because godly conviction leads to repentance. And God desires that we should repent from those things that shouldn't be a part of us, whatever that may be. So let's see how Jesus teaches his disciples how to be salted and not scorched. As he desires that we enter into heaven well, that we enter into heaven and not be cast into eternal separation from him in hell, eternally proving that we never belonged in him and we never belonged to him. We were never of him. You know, <clears throat> one of the 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 uh, points that we're going to um, go over is not to injure or destroy others' faith. But one thing I hope that we understand as we go through this is sometimes we're going through the motions and we believe just because we've come to church that we're Christians. I don't know how often I have, you know, I, I remember and I think about those times prior to actually surrendering my life to Christ that if someone were to ask me if I were a Christian, I would say yes. I said it ignorantly, but I still said yes. Why is that? Because I believed that if you are an American and you just simply believe in God, that you're a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. But there's a difference in, in knowing who he is, as far as from afar, and then knowing him personally and yielding to him and surrendering your life to him. So, number one, don't injure or destroy others' faith. Number two, don't destroy your own faith. And thirdly, be salty. And we're going to go through those. Let's begin in verse 42. Do not injure or destroy others' faith. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. You know, as we consider this verse, the, and the, really we need to consider the previous verse as well, we see that whatever is done to a follower of Jesus, whether it is good, verse 41, which says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And this, then verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones... You and I, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So as we consider those two verses, we see that whatever is done to a follower of Jesus Christ, whether it is good or bad, 
Jesus considers it as it having been done to him personally. The term little ones is not a reference to children, but rather to disciples of Jesus Christ. It says these little ones, and then we continue on, who believe in me. And these are not only disciples of Jesus Christ, but young disciples of Jesus Christ. Young in the faith. Ones that are more susceptible to being led astray because they simply do not have the knowledge or awareness and discipline that a mature believer would be expected to have. Uh, someone who's been walking with the Lord, someone who, who uh, experienced and, and has known salvation back a number of years ago, that person would be expected to have a good grasp of the Word of God, would be well-grounded in their faith. But would you expect that of a, of a young child in the faith? Someone who perhaps came to the Lord a week ago, would you have the same expectations? No, you would not, right? Hey, listen, a baby puts everything in his mouth. Y'all have kids? You remember that? It's like, what is wrong with you? Right? It's like, why, why would you like, go around and like anything and everything on the ground? Uh, a, a pen, uh, whatever it is, right? It's all going in. It's all going in. Why is that? They should know better, shouldn't they? They, you, we should have high expectations for them, and they rise to the occasion, right? Like, stop doing that. No, they don't understand. We all know that, right? Can you imagine if an adult did that? <laughs> then we would be asking, what's wrong with you, right? <laughs> like, oh, I see that. Go straight to the mouth. No, an adult knows what to consume and went not to consume. What Jesus is telling his disciples is not to be the person who puts what ought not to be consumed in the path of other believers. Yeah, that shouldn't be consumed. Why, why are you putting that in the path of someone else? David Guzik said this, quote, Some Christians think nothing of drawing young, weak Christians into their own little squabbles and divisions. They themselves emerge without much damage, but the little ones they brought with them into the squabble often end up shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. You see, this verse is a sober warning against hindering, causing harm, or maybe even destroying the faith of other disciples, especially people who are, again, young in the faith. The Greek word translated cause to sin, or to sin in our case, depending on your translation, is still the original, and it's scandaliz scandalizing, pronouncing it wrong, I'm sure, but it means to cause to stumble or to offend, which in this instance refers to destroying the faith of another believer. So it's not my interpretation, it's exactly what the original language is saying. To cause to sin, you're causing someone else to stumble. You're laying something before them that they may or may not put in their mouth. They may or may not consume, but 
we are warned not to do that. Because you could be the cause of destroying their faith and causing them to fall away from the Lord. This, by the way, is where we get our word scandalous, which means the cause of public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. In God's economy, it is not perceived a perceived offense. It is an actual offense against God, against his word. And the punishment of such an offense, we're being warned of. It's devastating. It is tragic. It is awful. Avoid it at all costs. Because Jesus said it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and you were thrown into the sea. The, the hearers of, the, of that teaching, those who were listening to that, oh, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew the gravity of the warning. They knew. Why? Because the picture of this was dreadful for the Jews because they feared the sea and regarded drowning as a terrible form of death. This is... This, this was horrible in their eyes. And it wasn't just a small stone. It, it, was, it was placed in this form to help them understand, hey, listen, yeah, it would be better for you if one of those giant millstones that, that grind the wheat, that takes a, an animal of burden to move it so large, if one of, one of those were tied around your neck and you went down to the depths of judgment of the sea, it'd be better for you. Is that how we see ourselves and with our brothers and sisters? Or do we handle it in a flippant manner? This is my liberty. I can do whatever I want to do. I know churches that celebrate and even give illustrations from the pulpit about drinking beers and tossing some back with the fellas. Seriously, and that's fine. I don't know how many people have struggled with alcoholism and it's destroyed families, marriages. It's caused deaths. Why even go there? And there's so much, so many other things that we could be the cause of someone else stumbling. Hey, listen, it's better if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the depths of the sea. It's that serious. The Lord says, be holy for I am holy. Be righteous, draw near to me, walk with me, walk according to the spirit. So this is speaking of others' faith. But what about your own? The Lord does, desires that you not injure or destroy others' faith, but you yourself don't destroy your own faith. Verse 43, as we continue, says, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
Listen, can, can we destroy? Can we destroy others? Can we destroy ourselves? Yes, yes, and yes, right? Absolutely, we can. Listen, these, these verses shift the focus from jeopardizing others to endangering ourselves. Let's be certain that the, the hacking off of body parts is not a literal command. It is a metaphoric hyperbole. It's allegorical. It's, it's just a picture. But it's to help us understand the seriousness of that whole situation. It is meant to convey the seriousness of sin and determining what you are using to sin and to have the determination and the conviction to cut it off, cut it out, stop completely. Sometimes we believe that we can, we can handle it, we can take it so far, we're okay. The Lord is saying, as we read, no. You need to, you need to draw away from that, completely cut it out of your life. What is being said here is that our salvation with Jesus is more important than those things that seem absolutely necessary, essential. You know, um, we say often, I need that, right? How many of you have said that? You're, you're confusing needs with, uh, with wants, right? Desires, oftentimes we do that. Oh, I need that. Oh, there's tons of things that I need, <laughs> quote, unquote. Oh, a lot of things. No, there's most of those things, probably 99% are all their desires. They're, they're not needs. What are you willing to do away with? Listen, is your, is your hand dispensable? Can you do away with your hand? How about your foot? Your eye? But what if it is the cause of you going to hell? What if it's the cause of you going into eternal damnation? The cause of the destruction of your faith. Let me put it that way. Would you do away with it? Because whatever you are not willing to cut out, knowing that it is a hindrance to your faith, even destroying your faith, your relationship with God, or the cause of you falling away from the Lord is your God. Because you're putting that in the place of your relationship with God. That is the condition upon which you are saying, I will be happy, I will be content if I just have this because I need it when you really don't. Many things we don't need. Listen, nothing, not even things we value supremely like hands, feet, and eyes should stand in the way of our eternal life. Whatever we allow to claim our ultimate allegiance is not life. The kingdom of God is life. As we see there three times, we are told, these are the things that keep us from Eternal life from the kingdom of God. 
Are you willing to, to repent? That means a, a complete turning away from, from those things that would hinder you or destroy your faith. It's a change in the way you perceive, the way you think. We should not allow anything in this life to prevent us from entering the kingdom of heaven. Listen, we all have a choice. It is, it is literally between God's kingdom and the unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. At that point, there is no such thing as purgatory. There, there, there is not like this place that you go to, you, you, you pay for your sins. No, no, no. When Jesus stretched out his hand and he said, it is finished, to tell us that it is paid in full. Your blood could not atone for your sins. And that's why we needed the unblemished Lamb of God to pay for our sins in full. We cannot pay for our sins. There's not this place you go to and atone for your sins. You, you can't possibly do that. We're not sinless. And in that moment when we're, that per person is in hell, it's too late for all eternity and eternity and eternity. You couldn't possibly pay for your sins. But don't say that you have not been warned. You cannot say that you have not been offered God's grace, his forgiveness. He's extended that to you. Because essentially what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God requires sacrifice. In fact, as you, as you remember, may remember in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38... And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus requires his disciples to first deny themselves. Why? Because to sacrifice that which would hinder, harm, or destroy our own faith and be the cause of ultimately being cast into the lake of fire is what he desires for us to surrender, to yield. Completely give over to the Lord. Jesus is warning against rebelling against God and calls us to express a genuine faith at this very present moment. Being willing, willing to rid ourselves of whatever hindrances or obstructions would prevent each and every one of us from entering into eternal life, into the kingdom of God. So he calls us, hey, listen, what is hindering you? What is keeping you? What is causing you to stumble? What may even lead to that place to where you're proven not to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Listen, if there's no fruit in your life, you're either backslidden or you never have belonged to God. 
I don't want you to think that perhaps I'm okay. Repent. The Lord calls us to repent. Church judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Repent and believe. Listen, this is a sober admonition. This is, this is a, a rebuke to the church. But it's a good one. Why? Because it says in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, if you're here or online, watching, listening, to what is being taught here, what we're going through. God has been patient with you. He's given you the opportunity to reach this very moment that you may understand, I am not in the place where I need to be with the Lord. Perhaps there is no fruit. There's nothing that is saying that I belong to him in my own life. We come to that place where we understand how does that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's one thing to lay down your life for those that you know, your close family. But what about for your enemies? You see, what that verse says is that Jesus died on the cross God sacrificed his son even while you were still his enemies. What a love. Whatever is or can destroy your own faith, cut it out. Cut it off. Stop it. Because you're risking your eternal destination. Don't injure or destroy others' faith. Don't destroy your own faith and Lastly, be salty. Verse 49, this is for everyone will be salted, uh, salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Hey, turn to your neighbor and tell him be salty. Be salty. <laughs> What does this even mean, right? <laughs> Be salty. Uh, sailors would know this. <laughs> Be salty. Uh, uh, someone who's salty has uh, spent a lot of time uh, on water, <laughs> going from one place to the next on, on ships. But this is something different. Be salty. Uh, we know salt is an ingredient that preserves. It enhances and it also serves as an ingredient that develops a resistance to harmful things. Fire will allow metal to be forged in elevated temperatures, that is fire, and it will temper or toughen it. James 1, 2 through 4, I remind you again, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If we're acting like we're in the middle of destruction, 
right? We're being annihilated by these circumstances that we find ourselves in. Rest assured that in Christ, that's not happening. That's a lie of the enemy being whispered into your ear. It's in the midst of those trials that God is doing a work. Because he, he has the control on that, that gauge, the temperature. He will not let you be destroyed. But he will forge you. He will temper you. Salt is also an ingredient that was required for burnt offerings. Did you know that? So this speaks of a sacrifice. Offerings to be wholly consumed by fire in order to be acceptable included salt. And it would be an acceptable aroma to the Lord. Pleasing to him. And so in the present context, fire and salt are symbols of trials and the cost. Actually, the cost of discipleship. You see, discipleship, following Jesus, completely surrendering to him, yielding to his authority and being governed by him, lays a total claim on a person's life. Completely. As it pertains to sacrifice, it must be totally consuming or it is worthless. A partial sacrifice is a worthless sacrifice. The Lord required the whole sacrifice to be consumed. So do trials consume you with frustration, worry? Do they make you anxious? Not talking about momentarily. I know, like in a, a moment, when you are surprised by something, in that moment, you experience all kinds of thoughts and feelings, responses even, reactions. But when you stop and think you've been trained in righteousness, what happens is at some point we should think, we should be disciplined. At this moment, I, even though I'm, I'm faced with these circumstances, at that very moment, my frustration, my worry, my anxiety... Well, it flipped. Not this very moment. The Lord tells us to not be anxious about anything. What am I to do? Well, I'm to pray. I am to supplicate. That is asking God to give me whatever it is that I need in this very moment. You don't have the wisdom? James 1.5 says to ask without doubting. Things change. You're able to deal with trials, difficult circumstances, tribulation, in a manner that is acceptable to the Lord. It makes your life holy. It purifies you. It strengthens you. And it's used to form you in such a way that the Lord is shaping you into the instrument that he desires for you to be used by him to bring him glory. So trials are to make you a salty sacrifice. An offering that is pleasing to the Lord. Also, the salt cannot be 
stored or kept to yourself, or it will spoil. You have to apply it and offer yourself completely to God. It cannot be kept from the Lord. It must be offered to the Lord. If you have no salt, rest assured that the Lord is amazing. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You cannot make yourself salty. You must humbly yield your life to Jesus. He is the lifter of our heads. He restores. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The disciple who denies himself, takes up his cross, and follows Jesus is one who nurtures the faith of another believer and who forsakes those things that hinder, injure, or destroy their faith and the faith of others is himself an offering, himself completely given to God as a sacrifice. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We in Christ are to be salt and light to the world. That what would be attractive is not ourselves, but the Lord. Jesus Christ. So don't injure or destroy others' faith. Don't destroy your own faith and be salty. I want to end with this. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. This is an encouragement for us here. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The Lord desires that we be the salt of the earth and not perish in the eternal fires of hell. That we would understand that we're going to go through trials, but they serve a purpose.
for those who do not believe and those who are in a backslidden state. Those prodigal sons and daughters repent and believe in Jesus Christ and then learn to walk with him. He loves you and desires that each and every one of us would draw closer to him. Father, we are so thankful for the love that you have shown to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us if we have been a, a stumbling, a source of stumbling for anyone else. Lord, forgive us. I ask, Lord, that we would be mindful of this warning, Lord, that we would, Lord, avoid such a thing. That we would also be mindful of the ways in which we can hinder or injure or even destroy our own faith. I ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to put away those things that would do that. And I ask, Lord, that, Lord, you would help us to be forged and tempered by the very trials and tribulations that we experience in our own life. Lord, this life is but a vapor. Lord, let us redeem each and every moment, each and every, every event and circumstance that we find ourselves in. For we do not know when you will call us home. But I do pray and ask, Lord, that by your Spirit, Lord, we would be vessels that bring you glory, completely being sacrifices, offering ourselves to you willingly and joyfully, Lord, knowing that you are faithful and Lord, you have already paid for our sins in full through the lifeblood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so therefore, we can rejoice and we, look, we can look forward to your glory for all eternity. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.